Good evening, ladies, gentlemen, and MBs, and welcome to Warrior Desho's stream of thought with a slightly different layout. Minus one, unfortunately, because Doc is away on holiday. I did not approve this, our HR did not approve of this, but somehow he still slinks off like the snake he is. I will get him for this. This will not stand. Swear. Coming for you, Doc. He's going fishing, apparently. <laughs> how how dare he? How dare he, I say. But the show must go on, as they say, you know. Uh, we, you know, in all seriousness, man's allowed to have a holiday. But joining me, of course, to help me discuss the next, uh, you know, bunch of episodes uh, for Diana Zenon is returning uh, guest uh, and presenter of Ono oh Anime is Mark, the millionaire. Welcome. Hello. Thank hello, you hello. so much again for having me back on. It's been a blast uh, doing this whole show with y'all, and uh, I'm happy to both fill in and be the guest this week. So, <laughs> I mean, dual roles. Uh, no, it's always good to have you here, Mark. Your, your insights are always welcome, as is your humor and your banter. Um, so then, yes, with Doc absent, this will probably be a little bit of a shorter podcast as a result. Uh, we're going to admit some small sections here and there, but Patreon questions will still be covered. Do not fret. Uh, we've also got talking points to go through as well. Um, we've got plenty to talk about in this particular batch of free episodes because, oh, well, yeah. uh, they took the dial and turned up to 11 pretty hard uh, yeah. as of episode 7 and decided, no, we didn't turn it hard enough. We're going to turn up even more in episode 9 where, well... <laughs> I, if ever we'll I saw, it. if ever I saw an anime <laughs> show pop off before, I think this might very well be the first time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're gonna be going through a fair bit of stuff today as we cover episodes uh, seven through nine of SSS Dina Zenon, finally cashing in on the Gridman universe element of it, you know, of the title, and doing pretty well with it all told, I would say. Not mm. flawlessly though. There are a couple of quibbles I have here and there that will probably mean people will start putting bricks through my window, because uh, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. There's gonna be a lot to discuss. Lots to discuss. Um, so, this being our stream of thought podcast, of course, we normally give a two-minute summation of the episodes. Um, we're going to go through that in a little while. We'll then do patron questions, and then we'll do talking points. We're going to omit creatives this time around, because that has never been my force and I wouldn't even know where to look. If I end up going on Wikipedia, I'll probably start crediting, uh, you know, Dino Zen onto, like, someone, I don't know, like, i just probably start saying names of people I know, like, oh, this bit was done by Jenna Rabachi, and uh, this was done by, you know, he Hideki Kamiya, he's not actually an anime guy, but I'm just mentioning him anyway, because it's just names I know, I'm just filling them in. Um, so yeah, but anyway, so Mark, uh, I don't want to spring this onto you, uh, but would you be willing to give a try, of, have a try at summarising the plot of these three episodes in two <laughs> minutes or less? How do you feel about this challenge, my friend? Oh my god, alright, well, I can, uh, I can, I can try, I have not prepared for this, but <laughs> I can try for it. <laughs> it's it's all it's it's all in good fun, my friend. There's no you know I I, I don't have an ejector bus attached to my controls for this stream to send you away if you get it wrong or omit anything. Um, but it can always it can just be a good laugh. So with that in mind, then uh, your two minutes. I'm going to give you ten seconds to get ready. Okay. All right. Your two minutes to summarize the episodes uh, of Dinosaur. We're covering seven through nine. They mm -hmm. begin. Now! All right, episode seven, Auntie and the Kaiju Frog Girl, both from the original Gridman, show up. Uh, Auntie is confirmed to be indeed Grid Knight. Uh, they show up and he transforms and battle the Kaiju and while Dina Zenon is getting uh, absolutely trounced. Uh, then they go to the Tokyo, Tokyo Bay Aqualine, a very popular uh, location in Gainax stuff. And then they uh, 
they do the gunbuster pose. They have a, a Predator Two moment, and then they uh, throw each other at the monster and kill it. And uh, Kaiju Frog Girl twirls a bat- baton. Uh, episode eight: uh, the failed Kaiju humanization arc. Uh, they run across a small Kaiju that can uh, <laughs> that can uh, turn stuff different colors. Uh, the Kaiju kids go to the family fun center. Uh, that Kaiju that they found turns out to be not good, uh, but also maybe good. I don't know. Uh, 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 Andy and Yomogi have an Evangelion moment searching for the mini One Kaiju. The min- mini Kaiju turns big, and then Yomogi uh, blows it up with his uh, big dragon bazooka. Uh, and also maybe does an instance domination. Uh, episode nine is a look inside Chisei's life. Uh, uh, Goldburn shows up, and then maybe the greatest henshin sequence in all of uh, Trigger anime happens. Uh, Kaiser Grid Knight is summoned. Uh, another kaiju is beaten. Uh, the power of friendship is wonderful, and then they all go to the summer monastery and launch fireworks. The end. You did that with about 25 <laughs> seconds left to spare. You did very well, my friend. I knew well I done. F- I missed a lot of stuff, a lot of minor stuff, but hey, you that's got the, the You got the broad crux of it, and let's be honest, we will have plenty of more, the more emotionally resonant stuff to talk about as we go for our talking mm. points, but the the big moment, the, the big kid moment, the, 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 yes. the chef's kiss moment is uh, Super Dragon Kaiser Grid Knight, or whatever it's called, which, yeah. I mean, yes, it, it, it's... A... The only thing that was missing from the end of it was just the word motherfuckers. Yeah, a moment for the history books, indeed. For (laughs) Mecha Anime, for Tokusatsu. Also for Gundam. I'm just going to throw that out there because it does have a cape, which I think Gundam has an exclusive license on for robots. So, um, yeah, we'll get to it because I have a lot of all caps notes. That I made while we're watching that. Are they are they are they in impacts font as well, just to double up uh, the uh, impacts of it? Because I feel yeah, I feel you're 100 percent right on that. And um, yeah, it's this... in uh, it's in Joker Man. Oh, nice. That's <laughs> that's a Joker, right? that's a quality quality font choice, mm, But but yes, one. this is indeed uh, for those of you who've not seen the episodes. In which case, why you listen to this podcast? You've already had two great uh, moments spoiled for you. I'm so sorry. Although that being said, describing them doesn't really have the same effects or, you know, as watching them. So you probably still can get away with it. Poorly describing them, I might add. (laughs) Nah, I mean, you you said the Predator moment and that's why this is part of the, you know, stream layout state and also will be the thumbnail for every version of this episode we put out on the podcast ever because Dinozenon, you son of a bitch. It's great. (laughs) It's amazing. You glorious um, motherfucker. (laughs) <laughs> it did it so yeah we're going to be talking about all of this in due course and going for our patron questions as well but i just want to quickly also mention um for those of you who are joining us for the first time and might not know who mark is uh mark would you very quickly just want to tell uh you know the people in the audience whether they're listening live or later uh who you are and what you do and what your interest in uh, gridman dinosaur is Sure. Um, yeah, my name is Mark Schultz. I, I run a uh, sort of anime multimedia collective called Ono Anime. Um, been active in the space for, God, probably s- uh, maybe five years now, almost six at this point. Um, and, uh, you know, I have experience making YouTube videos and podcasts. I've, I've pretty much anything that people talk about anime online, uh, medium-wise, I've done it at some point. Um 
But uh, yeah, I've always been a pretty, uh, you know, I grew up as a pretty big Gynax uh, fan and that has transformed me into uh, the big Trigger fan. I've seen every single one of their their works and like Mm. more than most, uh, (laughs) good or bad. (laughs) Um, So I I have, uh, um, you know, I I really enjoyed uh, Gridman. I've also seen the original Gridman series and have been a fan of that for a bit. Uh, I watched somehow managed to see superhuman samurai cyber squad when i was when i was a kid nice uh, in the in the 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 spider-man cartoon and x-men cartoon and big bad beetleborgs block on tv uh and uh yeah so i'm i'm pretty pretty damn well invested in this very weird intersection of uh, uh of japanese media properties um but I, I do think that Gridman and Dinozenon are probably two of the best things that Trigger has done so far, at least in the TV anime space. I mean, they're 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 something special, and never has that been more solidified than than after these last three episodes. Yeah, <laughs> holy shit. Yeah, I. It's it's funny because I don't want to necessarily tie the idea of a universe as a as a meta like you know franchise concept to strictly what happened in the west with the marvel uh films particularly yeah. and then of course the lesser uh well i was gonna say lesser but actually probably giving it too much credit the lesser uh you know um attempts for example the dark universe if everyone remembers that <laughs> well the dc I mean, universe oh oh yes oh. should have been successful but i'm actually kind of glad at this point that it wasn't successful uh for for different reasons but yeah i think everybody kind of goes to the marvel universe because it is like by far and away the most successful like shared universe visual media franchise like ever it's yeah it's just an absolute powerhouse for for good and bad obviously but um, yeah you know it's it's printed a lot of money in that time and yeah, like it or leave it a, a a lot a lot of people like it and a lot of people mm-hmm. spend a lot of money on it so, yep yeah. absolutely i mean it's funny though like i was just mentioning the dark universe before which opened with the mummy film and yet somehow and, cl- and uh, also Dino- closed with the mummy film <laughs> yep uh put that one back in the coffin it came back out of exactly uh, yeah it's but like I, that I, one piece gif of the zombie coming out of the ground and luffy <laughs> just goes and just gently pushes it back down just back like, in your dark universe back back in your box but well, i just i just you. I just laugh because Dinozenon is a better dark universe than the actual dark universe, given that Gamera and his colleagues are mummies. Yeah, exactly. Come at, come, come at me if I'm wrong, if you feel so, but good luck with that one, because Eat you know shit, I'm right. Tom Cruise. Hey, Trigger look, did I... it better than you. Yep. On a fraction of the budget, and with no <laughs> big-name actors. Yep. <laughs> I, I mean, that's it. That's that's my big that's my big hot take for this particular podcast today. <laughs> yeah. um, but anyway, on. anyway, uh, thank you very much for introducing yourself, Matt. We'll um, come back to you talking about where you can find be found later, of course, because uh, Mark does a lot of great stuff, particularly related to music. And I mean, I believe you do DJ sets as well on on occasion, oh, if I recall correctly. So uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of stuff definitely worth checking out. Uh, but we'll of course get back to promotions on that later. But to spin it tangentially to other kinds of promotions, it's time for a bit of shameless self-pluggery. It's the thing that I like to do, do most on this podcast, which is you might think to yourself, hey, these handsome chaps, you know, may want to, you know, put some money in their coffers so that that way I can buy more delicious uh, Copperberg gin and lemonade mixed fruit. They sent it up <laughs> in my fridge over the weekend. I How did it get in my fridge over the weekend? Beats me. 
but it's cold and it tastes like you know alcoholic blackcurrant that'll do more importantly you need more money to get more of it yes exactly this shit doesn't currently pay for itself but in theory it could and you can help me with that listeners at home by going over to patreon.com forward slash worry show and getting signed up to our two three or five dollar tiers um the two dollar tier um is the one that gets you access to our discord so we host things like you know group watches game nights uh, movie watches, and just generally good discussion and good banter in there. Uh, a lot of really nice people in there. It's quite a good little community. Uh, but on top of that, Get Yourself On Stack gets you the uh, privilege to ask questions of the stream of thought. So if you want to ask questions about Dino Xenon of myself or Doc, if he were here, and not sunning himself somewhere, the bastard, uh, or even Mark <laughs> for that matter, you can do so by getting on that and getting on our Discord. Free Dolce gets you access to our second stream podcast, which we're currently using to cover Vivi, Flora Eyes Song, a, how do I put this, a time-traveling buddy cop, uh, temporal fuckery android show with music. And it's actually really good. Uh, so definitely check that out. And if you're feeling particularly generous, you can give us $5 a month to get access to all of those benefits Plus our um, final podcast line, which is Desho the Third. This is one that we use to uh, cover stuff requested by the patrons, along with Second Stream for that matter. We're currently covering Bottom Tier Tomazaki, a show that has somehow miraculously just averted its own mediocrity and become something pretty damn decent. And like, if you want to find out like how I reacted to that, get on over there, you know, have a look. Um... So anyway, yes, that's our Patreon. Do check that out. Uh, if you're already listening, of course, on, say, SoundCloud... Oh, sorry, not SoundCloud. We don't have SoundCloud. Spotify, Apple Music, whatever podcast you're on, just drop us a like and subscribe. It takes two if seconds. If you're you know. somehow listening on SoundCloud, do that too. Why oh, not? You're Why listening not? to a weird bootleg re-upload from five <laughs> years from now that you've stumbled across because of the algorithm, then go support I would be okay with a bootleg re-upload of these episodes being made, so it sounds like a really bad VHS. There's tracking noises <laughs> in it somehow, if, you know, even though it's not a video or a VHS tape. Um, Honestly, that's how you know you've made it. Is mm-hmm. If you're getting re-uploaded on SoundCloud, you're you're there. So yeah, make that, make that happen too, would-be listener. Okay, so speaking <laughs> of our patron questions, of course, we should probably get straight on to them. Um, we have a couple here, uh, one batch of which comes from um, Rackham, Bond's here pirate, Rackham as a matter of fact. Um, we have two of them. Uh, the first of which is, um, in episode eight, Team Dina Xenon uh, find the small kaiju and Knight tells them that they are born from human emotions, following up that statement by telling them to kill it before it becomes a threat. But when Chisei befriends the kaiju she finds in episode nine, that being Goldburn, uh, it helps her. Do you think these instances are the show itself trying to send a message about emotions, or is Knight simply giving good advice and Chisei got lucky? Uh, so, Mark, what are your what are your thoughts uh, on Rackham's question there about Grid Knight's advice? Um, I, I am in, I am inclined to believe that there is no such thing as luck in this universe. <laughs> when, they name, when they name something as specifically as that, I just think that. Mm, so. I was gonna I was gonna talk about this at some point, so it's good that we brought this up. But um, in episode eight, when uh, Yomogi does a, a bit of uh, instance domination, mm-hmm. um, at least that's what we're led to believe is happening. Um, there's a really quick flash of what appears to be the same sort of weird seed thing mm-hmm. that Chisei's been carrying around, 
And Goldburn's appearance in episode nine seems to point to the fact that that seed was, in fact, Goldburn, like, manifesting through her emotions, I guess, Mm -hmm. Um, which is why he responds to her. So I don't know if it's just that, like, the episode eight kaiju is a really weird case because it's, like, this weird sort of, like, malformed kaiju, and they don't really go out of their way to tie it to any like one existing character in that episode from what I remember. So I don't know if it's just that, you know, because Chisei was carrying this like egg or seed around with her that when Goldburn showed up, he responded to her and, and was like loyal to her and like a quote unquote good Kaiju, um, you know, because she had been with him and like was, had a connection. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I, I don't think it's luck. I, I, I do think it's purposeful. I don't necessarily think that this whole concept of like emotions birthing kaiju and like the whole actual like mechanics of this type of thing have been fully fleshed out yet. So I think mm-hmm. it may be still a little bit too early on because I still like I feel like they're they're skirting something big. Because now that we know that Yomogi is capable of some sort of at least like proto instance domination where he is able to like at least kind of like share a mutual connection with a kaiju or something like that. I don't know if it was just that particular kaiju or if it was any of them and he has this ability. I don't know. Like I said, there's still a lot of stuff there that hasn't been fleshed out, but I don't think it's luck. It's Mm. like everything in this that they like show on screen is servicing something. Um so I, I don't think it's luck. I just think that, you know, what exactly is going on, we don't know the full extent of yet, basically. Yeah. I, I think, um, to, to answer Rackham's question here, there's some interesting observations we can make from Auntie's uh, opinion on killing the kaiju, because you have to bear in mind that he... I, I mean, we've mentioned, for example, that it is indeed Grid Knight, but it's not Grid Knight necessarily as we knew him at the end of Grid Man. Like, yeah. the, the big giant guy, same person. Uh, but Grid Knight Ante has uh, had quite the glow up since then. Um, he no longer is a trash diving raccoon, and instead looks <laughs> he looks like um, Samurai Caliber. If Samurai Caliber, yeah. like you know, sat stood up straight and also had like the most like stereotypical white anime haircut ever, where it crosses one of his eyes, looks like Ragnar the Blood Edge from Blaze Blue. Um, yeah. But but he's an adult. Uh, we, He's an yeah, adult, yeah, he's, he's uh, which is also which is also the case for his companion, who was also in Gridman, that being uh, Anosilis, Anosilis, uh, the, 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 the tiny, like, kaiju girl who also gets really huge at one point. She introduces, uh, she introduces herself as the second yes. uh, in, in Dinozenon, so that's kind of what I've been referring to her as. Okay, so, yeah, she's there as well. Um, but the thing is, we have to remember that, of course, Ansi is operating with all the experience uh, that he had in Gridman, all the lessons he learned, uh, one of which, uh, this is something I predicted, and I'm very glad it took the time to show this, uh, the eugenicists, when Grid Knight show up, like, okay, we're going to try, we'll give it a go, and they can't. They can't yeah. control Grid Knight. And I'm like, that's neat, because it really confirms, like, Ansi's, like, evolution as a character. Like, we saw, of course, how... You know, he changed over the course of Gridman and uh, eventually became an ally. Um, yeah. But this feels like the full stop on the end of the sense that because he was a Kaiju in the past and now he very much isn't. And they literally, and that's proved like mechanically for the fact, you know, they can't, you do the live long and prosper to take control of him. Yeah. Um, but the thing to note as well is that 
by his logic, been saying that, hey, they should kill this little malformed kaiju now, um, that, if it was applied to him in the history of the sh- of the universe in the Gridman would mean he would never come to be who he is now. So yeah. he is providing a lesson um, in the show's mechanics that actively argues against his own existence because he was allowed the opportunity to grow as a person, to, you know, change for the better, to become human. He's no longer a kaiju. And now he's saying this one here, this one that looks like it's straight out of Maiden Abyss at the very end, kill it! <laughs> Give it the old yellow treatment. Bang, bang, bang behind the shed. Do it. Can't, can't be too cautious. And so I find that really fascinating that he's offering advice that uh, is contradictory to his own history. But it also goes to show that even though, uh, even though he is actually right with this particular kaiju, but it's kind of a bit more complicated than that. He's still like, you know, he comes into the show, McDyne um, Zenon that is, and while he's a badass and all that, he's not immediately necessarily right. And that's part plays a big part in how I think this, for the most part, this show handles bringing him over from Gridman without uh, devaluing Dinah Zenon, the robot, or yeah. the characters who pilot it, because that's a big part of doing team ups uh, when you have these like shared universes. Um, so I think that the answer to this is Angie, and no, I'm, I'm sorry, Anti, I meant to say, is throwing the baby out with the bathwater here. He's arguing against, you know the very thing that led him to become who he is. Um, and he's therefore wrong. Um, I think that Chisei's actions prove that, hey, you know, like, and also in term, tandem with episode eight, like the kaiju are not the simplistic creatures we believe them to be. I mean, you'd know that if you'd watch Gridman, of course, but this yeah. is a different system and it still uh, adds in those layers of complexity that make it more interesting as a result. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's ultimately a case of he's wrong, uh, and he's wrong in a way that I find really interesting about what he reveals about his character, that he just seems blind to his own development. Yeah. Well, he was, you know, I think the, the implication of his, his growing up as a character is that he is no longer a child. You know, he's no longer as impulsive or like outwardly, you know, bratty and all the, you know, all the negative aspects of his, his original character. But mm. also part of, uh, you know, a big part of growing up is kind of like forgetting a lot of your childhood. Yeah, true, true. So, uh, you know, that could be part of it. But yeah, like I said, I, there's still so much going on there that even with as much as they have implied and implicitly shown there's still, like, I think one big central, like, this is the big reveal that they still have not gotten to as to, like, mm. the origin of kaiju and how they relate to people and how they relate to, like, specific people. Yeah, there's a, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of stuff that we still haven't gotten to. But, uh, <laughs> we'll yeah. we'll see we'll see what comes next, but I'm certainly intrigued. Um, yeah. The next question from Rackham goes like this. Have you ever helped someone you were either jealous of or someone who you might benefit from not helping like Kiyomi did with saving Inamoto's husband, Mr. Tony Stark, um, due to it being the right thing to do? uh, This is one of those things I'm going to have to dredge my memory. I feel like the answer to that is I probably have done. Um, But, um, gosh. I don't know if I've ever done it because at the time I thought it was the right thing to do. I think it was more just out of a sense of obligation yeah. or a sense of duty. Um, mm. I know that when I was in marching band in high school, my later years in marching band, I was in a leadership position for my last two years. Uh, and there was a lot of people in band that I did not like that. Mm. I 
ended up helping either for like the good of the whole or um you know just out of a sense of like duty to my position um but yeah i i <laughs> I, I don't know sense of jealousy is one thing I, I i don't know if i've ever been put in a situation quite as dire as the one that koyomi faces in the show yeah uh i don't think that I, I would like to think that i would not have a second thought of saving somebody's life Hmm. Um, if I was like jealous of them or like didn't like them, you know, if they were like a hate filled lunatic, then I probably would think twice about it. But, you know, someone who's like the husband of a crush who I just don't like because I think he's annoying. I don't think I would have any second thoughts about. Saving yeah, that person's it, life. it's but... it's it's a difficult question to answer because, as you rightly point out, it's rare that Will have been put in such a situation where for one will even have to be involved in helping someone in danger. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm first aid trained, for example. Do you know how many times in public I've actually had the opportunity to even use that? Never mind if I knew that person or not firsthand. The answer yeah. to that is zero. Yeah. Big fat zero. Um, I have used it at work admittedly, but that's beside the point because it's just more of a randomized environment. Um, but I think that I think that by that token, though, as well, like the more great the situation, the more inclined I would like to believe people would be you know, to help them even if they did have history or backstory. Um, What I will comment on, though, is I I actually think, um, again, this is something that we discussed in our last podcast, and you actually mentioned this in our uh, private chat about how some of the things that we discussed in the previous podcast, like, were immediately addressed by episode seven in a way that almost felt, in a way that almost felt kind of eerie. Um, (laughs) So, so one of, one of my complaints from last time was that, what are the stakes here? Like, what happens if the eugenicists just trash the city? Are people actually dying or not? You know, because in Gridman, again, like, you know, people are erased from existence, which is quite, quite horrifying. Right. Um, and then we get this, where we only really see, like, you know, Inomoto, Inomoto's husband grievously wounded, but that's still enough, in my opinion, because we don't yeah. want to get too... Like, we have to remember the tone of the show as well. Like, people aren't really all... Like, there's no blood, for example, generally speaking. It would be... It'd be very weird, I suppose, having fought on it if, like, the show suddenly diverged into war in the pocket territory where there are people, like, with, you know, arms missing in the street, people bleeding out yeah. and all that. It, <laughs> there is there is a set tone for this show, and I think it's in its best interest not to be too graphic with its violence towards regular, you know, tiny little people. Um, but with the most husband, like, the thing I love about this scene with Kaomi is you were talking, of course, about, like, you know, maybe we'd hope we wouldn't hesitate. But what I really think fleshes him out as a character but still proves he's a good person is the fact that he does hesitate. Now, am I saying that's the right for him to hesitate, for him to think about? No. In an ideal world, we would, of course, immediately jump in and try and help if at all possible. That's what we'd like to believe we we would do. But not everyone's like that, and Kaomi is a flawed character. You know, and this shows that, that he hesitates. He does change his mind. He does go and help. And of course, he gets the most amazing, like, you know, side conversation from Imosa later when she says, oh, it just made us realize how we should be even closer now. And he's like, Nyeh. but, yeah. <laughs> but, but I, <laughs> I, I appreciate for the humanity it gives him as a character that shows that it's because I think that like in fiction, you can run into a problem where characters are written to be like so 
virtuous or like you know where they don't ever feel tempted to do all things because human nature in my opinion is based on the temptation to do terrible things you know like, not right. i'm not saying of course like you start killing people in the street like, but rather i mean to say like you know we think about doing the, the the wrong thing because it's the easier way out but then we check ourselves we stop ourselves and we turn around to do what's right and he did do that in the end to his credit, which I think is a much more believable um, and interesting behaviour from him. And it shows that he does have like a moral character um, in a way that would be more interesting than just him simply diving in and helping. So yeah, I'm, I was legitimately impressed by that scene because it gave me what I wanted in showing actual consequences. But then it actually built on that to show that, hey, our character, you know, our hero, or one of them, he's not perfect by a long shot, but he still does the right thing in the end. Good, yeah. good on him for doing that. Yeah, he's trying. And that's all that you can really ask of anybody. Yeah. It's just he's, he's, Yeah, and I think there's also an interesting parallel then if you think like how this show contextualizes the idea of fighting in a giant robot as being the easy thing for him to do, but actually helping a regular human being is more difficult yeah, <laughs> uh, which I, is, is which is quite powerful when you think about it. Like, he's, he's driving this fucking like robot around, which he could fear to be killed in, like you know, and shooting things with his, like giant hands. But yeah, I think that um, the fact that he finds helping Inamo's husband more like he- has more hesitancy about that is really telling and quite powerful. It's a good little scene, excellent little yeah. moment. It's great. Okay, next and final patient question comes from uh, Grizzly, um, and it goes something like this. Yume's investigation has hit several roadblocks, few real answers, and a lot of emotional turmoil. If you were in your moggy shoes, what would your advice be to Yume, if any, after the events of episode 9? So just to confirm where episode 9 ends off, it ends uh, with the group succeeding again against Eugenesis. This is when uh, Goldburn comes about. But it's also in which uh, Yume is like, again, hit a complete brick wall. She seeks to Futaba-senpai, the the guy who was dating sister, and apparently he was just a complete concert he's been a complete dick basically yeah, he's an like he's an <laughs> asshole um but that's it the trail goes cold um we're still trying to piece together from history and from second-hand accounts uh what happens to her and i think that if i were in your mogi shoes the best thing i can suggest and this is in context of them also seemingly becoming more and more enamored of each other like even to a romantic way like there's so many little framing cues uh, ways that they are portrayed together. Uh, the ending of episode nine, which I want to talk about separately, is just such a beautiful moment. I think it's really powerful. But yeah. I think that given that they seem pretty much like on course to becoming a couple at this point, um, I think what he needs to do is um, actually um, make do what a couple would do in this place. Say, I'll support you wherever you choose to do. Now, I'm yeah. not saying that that needs to be unconditional and unceasing, even if, like, you know, in heaven forbid, me and Ami, like, you know, never ever stop thinking like, it just destroyed her life. There is a line that should be crossed, but we're not there yet. And what we do see in these episodes is that even though Minami is, uh, like, you know, struggling with, um, with, with, you know, finding out the history of her sister and, like, you know, running into these brick walls, um, she, they are, there are still moments in which they actually have like genuine joy. Like there's little moments like the the fireworks party, for example, um, where it's not all miserable and bleak all the time. You know, um, those moments are still worth enjoying and still worth living. So yeah, my advice to him would be just be there for her, but be ready to step in if you need to to say, hey, have you considered maybe enough's enough? Because ultimately, 
unless the show decides that it can bring her back, uh, which I don't think it will, her sister is gone. Yeah. That sounds cold of me to say, uh, but I'm not stating it as like, you know, forget about her entirely, but she's still there. Her life is still worthwhile and still deserves, you know, meaning and still deserves joy in it. And that, you know, that should be allowed to happen. It shouldn't be the case where she just completely, utterly sublimates all of that in favour of, you know, constantly trying to dig up the history of her sister to no avail. Yeah. Yeah, I would just, honestly, if I were him, the only thing I would probably say more than any of that is just that, that she needs to maybe prepare herself for the possibility that, like, nothing is going to come from this. Mm. Um, and that also sounds kind of harsh, but I feel like, especially with how realistic a lot mm. of that sort of investigation has seen, I mean, like, n- n- none of these people seem to be particularly, like, good people. Like, even mm. the quote-unquote good ones of the group are still clearly hiding stuff from them. And they have every incentive to obscure and deflect um the you know blame that they all clearly share for for minami's sister's death so yeah i i would probably just as gently as possible prepare her Hmm. for the very real possibility of just having to reach a point where you're getting stonewalled so much that it's just not worth it for your own safety and mental health to to continue you know continue this this sort of investigation so, yeah i i agree that sounds like it's just like it pays to be an outside voice looking in trying to be as realistic as possible mm-hmm. with you know these very clearly not not very admirable human beings that they're dealing with yeah so. yeah i agree um I don't, yeah, I don't really have much else to add to that. I just, um, I think that if you've seen our discussions on Wonder Egg Priority, this is again very adjacent to that. Um, and I think that much like Wonder Egg, it feels pretty authentic to how people would act in these situations. I mean, obviously, giant robots or psychic overworlds notwithstanding. Um, but, <laughs> but not, but nonetheless, it feels true. Like that, if you were in the situation where someone you cared about deeply but didn't really know all that well are gone you would want to dig and find out what had happened to them like try and understand better come to some sort of like realization for your own conscience um but there's only so much one can do with unearthing like history you can't be you can't possibly have been at every single second every single day of someone's life you'll never have the complete picture just by virtue of the way like you know the world works by the way that your own perception works you know i'm physically in the same space all the time you can't know exactly what's in their head you've got to eventually come to a point i think where you accept the explanation you've come up with using the evidence you have at hand and it'll always be a partial explanation but will it be a satisfactory one for you is the main question um yeah and the show by the way just to mention does continue with the idea that Again, Nina is still playing with the links, the things that chain her in. And there's, of course, many continued images, uh, not just of her, but also of um, Kaomi as well, in particular in episode seven, of them being like encircled with fences in front of them, behind them, guardrails, barriers, etc. Um, the atmosphere sometimes feels very crushing in this show. Like, they literally feel like they're in prison. And 
funny enough, I wonder if that might actually turn out to be true in a sense by the end of these episodes. After all, Grid Knight uh, and uh, the second do mention that the, there was like they managed to break in in some yeah. way to this world. So, hum, <laughs> hum. Yeah. Who who knows? I do wonder how. Yeah, it's like one of our biggest questions that we've always had from the beginning is how how much are they going to break open this clearly like a computer-based world that they're living in or mm. whatever the hell is going on yeah um how much are they only... going to show the, <laughs> the inner workings of it only when the uh the world's eggshell has been broken can the chick truly be born it's the utena stuff all there over again there you go i got my i got my mandatory once per podcast utena reference in i can put that on my tax route Woo! yes <laughs> Anyway, uh, that actually brings us to the end of our Patreon questions this time around, and I just wanted to thank uh, both Rackham and Grizzly for getting those in there. Um, certainly a lot more to discuss in a little while as well. Um, if you, again, think to yourself, hey, I'd like to be able to ask pa- uh, questions of uh, these guys as they go through these episodes, uh, patreon.com forward slash worrydeshow, pop your details in, job done. It'll take you 30 yeah. seconds. I'll even time you. Um, so, with that in mind, uh, we're now going to move on to talking points. Um, Mark, I'm going to let you get started very quickly while I briefly take a 15-second John over to my fridge and back again because, unfortunately, my mixed fruit alcoholic blackberry juice or (laughs) blackcurrant juice uh, is empty, like my heart. So I'm going to go and fix that. I'll be back in just a moment. Um, Well, uh, while Shadon is doing that, I guess I will uh, jump jump into just kind of uh, recapping what happens in episode 7 because I'm guessing that's probably what we're going to be talking about here. Um, so episode seven opens on like literally the biggest question we had from the previous podcast, just immediately being answered. Like in the first second <laughs> auntie and, and uh, I, I keep vac- vacillating between the second and Kaiju frog girl. Um, they're both from SSSS grid band are like literally right there. Obviously they're new designs. Uh, they're not the exact same characters that we knew, but they're like instantly evident from the first, you know, from the first moment that that's, that's she's, she's still drawing. Um, Oh, Mark's oh, video has disappeared. He's been replaced here. with oh. a static image. Okay. Hold on. Oh, nope. he's just uh, fixing the aerial. Nope. Virtual camera. Uh, one day when I, I get better at streaming, I'm going to replace uh this with a little technical difficulties image if ever any of our webcams go. I the one straight out of the Simpsons. No idea what just happened. <laughs> well, my camera. Not... We might just have to do without my camera because uh, I might have to like go and like under my desk and like unplug it and then replug it back in, which. Sounds like it would be a nightmare to do on stream right now, unless you want to talk for like 15 seconds while I do that. It's up to you. Uh, no, I can, I can absolutely do that. Give it a go, my friend. So okay. anyway, uh, technical difficulties aside, um, I have one thing I want to note as well is that um, the second, uh, Ansolius, uh frog, kaiju, girl, whatever you all call her, uh, she, you know, still, like, there's little hints of their behavior in these episodes that just still mark them as the characters we knew from Gridman, while, of course, them being older hers being that she draws on the streets or on the walls whatever like these ki- diagrams of kaiju that still look very childlike um and see you know like for all his stuff he's still he's still a jerk 
kicks the shit out of Gama a couple of times, which is... I mean, Gama's a likable guy, and he might be a zombie. Oh, there we go. <laughs> I think it just came unplugged. I have a USB extender in there that it probably just came uh, unplugged from, so... It's 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 like Sorry it's like that. the olden it's like the olden days when you had a, a CRT uh, TV with an aerial made out of a coat hanger. You're just like I'm just gonna hold up here a yeah. little bit. Oh shit! The um, good old days. The good old days, indeed. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you were saying about um, I was just mentioning there about how like she um, you know, and Sol, it's not like she's still got that habit of drawing like these chalk crit things. Like the be- there are the behaviors and the like mannerisms that are still carried over, but they are older and for the most part in some sense wiser oh yeah yeah especially well uh, maybe just i don't know if they're necessarily wiser they're certainly more normal they <laughs> for these characters definitely are less overtly weird um but they are called the grid knight alliance that is their mm-hmm. official name um my only other note from that initial scene is i, I don't know if it's been fully explained yet why they have all those like um canisters in the boat and why they're always traveling by boat or we see them a lot in a boat mm-hmm. <laughs> for some reason uh maybe that is how that they're like entering this new virtual world um i do know that the second carries the suitcase with her that has all their like gear and stuff in it so how where she pulls the little repair canister out um mm-hmm. But I, yeah, other than that, I don't really... I, I'm sure it's probably just visual flair and I'm just reading too much into it, which is something I'm very good at, but... It, it might be, you know, cases of beer. Ice cold. Could be. It's a hot, it's a hot day are, out there, I swear. They are adults um, now. They they do deserve to, to crack a cold one with the boys every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I mean, Auntie's got a big enough sword for it to open those cans with, so why not? Oh, yeah. um, I, I will mention, by the way, because you brought it up, uh, the healing powder, beam, ray, whatever you want to call it, that, uh, from what I've seen, is also straight from the original Gridman Yes, uh, that series. is a reference to a character called Unison from episode 6 of the original Gridman Tokusatsu series, um, who also... Uh, is a girl has a trouble clef on her outfit outfit and uses a baton all things which the second also shares now i don't know if they sort of have like like i i remember multiple times us saying in the previous episodes that we've done that 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 character from the original gridman the kaiju frog girl always felt like kind of a weird afterthought that they never fully fleshed out in the end of that series um i don't know if they have like almost kind of retconned them in their own universe into being a reference to that character unison. Mm. Um, or if she was always planned to be that in this show, I don't, you know, again, I don't know how, how far they're planning this stuff out, but uh, yeah, she's a direct reference. I mean, I'm sh- yeah, I'm sure if you've been on Twitter since that episode aired, you've seen the gifts of her literally the exact same camera angle, the exact same poses uh, as the character unison, who I believe is like some kind of like computer life form, in the original Gridman, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've seen it, so. But I do remember that. Um, That's fair, and that is a I direct mean, reference. It, it could be worse. It could be like that Microsoft Dog, whatever it was, that would run around your PC back in the Windows ninety five days. That would or be Bonds period of. Pro- oh no. We don't mention. <laughs> we don't mention that name here. We Not lightly. We can't say. Let's, don't say it three times while looking in a mirror, or else you will be summoned. You'd, you'd be you'd be safe for saying the word Baphomet over and over. <laughs> just exactly. go, just go, just go. Put that out there, yeah. gosh. Um, right. 
I, I mean, we'll come back to actually later with respect to pulling through references from the original show. Um, mm-hmm. But I also want to talk about something else I think episode 7 addressed with respect to my previous criticisms. And it was a specific line that eugenicists have, and I don't remember which one it was, but they said something to the effect of, we're going to use kaiju... We're going to use kaiju not to kill people, but to destroy humanity. The power of kaiju isn't for killing people, it's for killing humanity as a whole. Mm-hmm. So, so there's your purpose. <laughs> there's your, so here's the thing, right? Humanity as a word, of course, has at least two different meanings that are relevant to this discussion. One of which is, are we just talking about wiping out the human race? Is that what it is a stand-in for here? Yeah. Or... More interestingly, because I don't think it would be, uh, well, for one, it would be impossible if this is a computer universe. Like, hey, we killed all of humanity. Great, but it's, it's just them fighting on a floppy disk. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> that's not that's not, that's not exactly, you know, the uh, the end of the world as we know it. Yeah. Um, but the alternative, of course, is the other meaning, which is to destroy, you know, humanity as, like, a concept. The sense of, like, you know, ability to connect, uh, you know, empathy, the values that come with that particular term. It's a bit... A merely nebulous depending on who you ask yeah. but nonetheless it's i would say like you know individual thinking uh relationship forming relationship building empathy uh the ability to basically the ability to feel i think uh, and i'm not talking about pain here i'm talking about emotions which of course is where kaiju come from so again like with anti and his particular philosophy of how to deal with kaiju we have what is arguably a self-contradictory agenda here because the kaiju eugenicists want a world in which kaiju are needed if i recall correctly but they are also using kaiju to wipe out humanity uh as a concept in theory which would then mean there would be no more kaiju left um this is fascinating to me for a couple of reasons the first of which is we get an episode we get episode eight and episode eight has the most amazing subplot like day out sequence ever where the eugenicists just go and have a damn good time yeah we get it we get of course to pull up wonder egg priority as a comparison again we get you know people posing in a bowling alley uh Mujina's like you know she's doing her little thing pose there she's having a grand old time mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're watching a thinly veiled Ultraman film yep. <laughs> in in a 3D rocking theater where Suzumu is uh, in in many things in this little like sequence of events. He's just like, whatever. Yeah. If you've they, ever seen the, the, the so, type sorry. of theaters are very very popular in Japan, from what mm-hmm. I understand, the like 4DX style, moving mm-hmm. seats and water shooting and smells and fire and yeah, all the. I don't know why anybody would ever want to watch a movie that way, but... <laughs> I I mean, it reminds me of, like, when you go to, like, uh, say, for example, um, the show rides. I mean, the old Terminator 2 ride, for example, exactly. in, in Universal, where, oh, yeah, we blew up the T-1000, and you just get sprayed with liquid. I'm like, yeah. I, know, I, I know what this is. It's just water, but where yeah. has it been? That's my question. Um, but, yeah, they're having a grand... Good. They're having a grand old time, and funny enough, their effectiveness with kaiju, fighting with them, they seem to have finally started maybe cottoning on to the fact that they fight better when two, or sorry, sorry rather, one than two of them are working together. And also, uh, it's no coincidence that it's Mushina um, and Mr. I keep getting hit by satellites, which didn't happen in these episodes, which I was very sad about. Yeah. Like, they're the ones who seem to have, like, woken up a little bit to, like, expressing emotion and feeling and just generally you know like 
having a good time on the on the side, like you know, feeling positive, like, and that ties in some way into their fighting prowess with the Kaiju. Like they still lose because Gridman comes in, you know, uh, uh, sorry, Grid Knight rather comes in and uh, wrecks their shit. Um, but they are. I find it fascinating again that they are working towards an agenda, towards a goal that is completely contradictory to their own self-interest and to the experiences they are living in these episodes where they actually do have good times. Like, you know, we go back to the water park, for example. Yeah. If you wipe out humanity, like you can't enjoy the good things around you, you know, like, and that of course then ties in with everything else we've said, for example, about Chise or will say about Chise rather about Minami and her relationship with her sister. Like, it's all surprisingly well linked together. So even though we still don't know why they want to do this, I have a funny feeling it might be some entity or some like other like enemy has like given them this idea, has brought them back to make them do this. It would be, I mean, just like Alexis Kerry, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but nonetheless, like this is, it's, it's not necessarily an answer to my original complaint of why they want to do this, but it's got me thinking about other things and it shows like how, their philosophy is ultimately doomed to fail or doomed to f- succeed by failing, if you know what I mean, because they will ultimately win uh, by, you know, embracing humanity and then there will be no more humanity left. Oh, whoops. <laughs> look at me yeah. as I stare up for this ruined world that I have created and look at what I have destroyed. Yikes. Yeah, that's yeah, true. I mean, uh, yeah, again, there, there's still... A lot that we don't know but yeah i mean it, i i think it makes sense that they would be inherently contradicting themselves i mean no, no one in this show seems <laughs> no one in this show seems particularly uh, hyper aware of their own motivations everyone there's a lot of uh um there's a lot of doing <laughs> in this show especially <laughs> with the kaiju eugenesis uh so yeah uh, it's that's not I mean, like that scene where Mujina and what's his name are talking, uh, is like maybe the most self-reflective that any of the kaiju eugenicists have gotten to this point, um, and that was strictly serving a purpose of like telling the audience why exactly they're doing what they're doing. So yeah, we'll see. It, it's uh, it, yeah, it's definitely interesting right now. Um, I wonder how literally we're supposed to be taking everything that they're saying. Um, but you know, that, that'll be, that'll, that'll probably be answered at the very beginning of episode 10, knowing our, <laughs> knowing our luck <laughs> with the, yeah. these questions that we have. Yeah. Um, I, I still do think maybe the show is a little slow pace for my personal taste here because I don't mind the idea of asking questions, but when we are literally three quarters of the way through and the end game is still not quite in sight here, uh, for a 12 episode show. I don't necessarily think that's a good thing because yeah. I, I want it to be... I mean, I'm not saying you should always follow the standard dramatic arc of do-do-do-do-do, you know, like where we get towards the most tense moment. like And maybe that'll happen in the last three episodes, to be fair. I might not be giving them enough credit here. But I want to feel a sense like that shit's getting serious. And I know like that they've done... They've, they've kind of cheated a little bit in the show by having Grid Knight in episodes uh, eight and nine specifically or rather nine, what's the point, uh, nearly be defeated by the kaiju of the week uh, to yeah. show, like, hey, even with him, like, chipping in now, they're still struggling in places. And to be fair, episode seven, 
Grid Knight does not defeat that kaiju on his own, which I'm immensely grateful for for reasons I'll talk about separately. Um, but uh, it, it doesn't still feel to me like we're getting to a rising sense of the end game, like shit's game real. Like by this point, Gridman, we've had the big reveal, for example, that there's the city uh, in the sky, if I recall correctly, the whole computer sky thing. Um, I might be wrong yeah. on that because I'm fairly confident it was around then that it happened. Um, and of course, we have the moment like fairly shortly after that when uh, we have the dream episode where things again go pretty serious. Um, yeah. But we also can see like Akane's getting more and more desperate at this point. Um, so yeah, it's not currently, as I say, clear to me what the how like tense I should be feeling this, and it feels like it's still a bit slow pace, but. I'm still enjoying what it's delivering anyway. Yeah. So, Mark, over to you. What's your next talking point, my friend? Uh, I, I just wanted to point out that uh, I, something I did not notice on my first watch through, but I noticed today, uh, Grid Knight, his official transformation pose is the Gunbuster pose. It is. Didn't, didn't notice that until today, uh, but mm-hmm. it is very important. Um, mm-hmm. We've already talked about uh, Unison and the Baton. Uh, we've already talked about the B plot of Koyomi saving Inamoto's husband. Um, I briefly mentioned it in my, um, in my, uh, little blurb at the beginning there, but, um, the crux of this episode revolves around the, uh, Tokyo Bay Aqua line as a, uh, location. Now, um, this is, I put in my notes that it's a real Gynax nerd location, uh, it's just a real popular location to film at for tokusatsu and also by extension uh anime because it's literally a giant tunnel with like a mm. huge building built on top of it that just like goes out in the middle of the ocean and disappear or goes out in the middle of tokyo bay and disappears and it's just like a super crazy looking thing um and so uh but it is most people would know it from if you've ever seen Hideaki Anno's 2004 Cutie Honey movie, the first battle in that movie takes place like at the exact mm. same location as the final battle in episode seven. Um, and I was super happy that they did that because this show, like, honestly, this is uh, Dinah Zenon specifically has felt more like a sort of pseudo Gynax throwback show than like maybe anything else that trigger has ever. Done, yeah. Which is really surprising to me because it's also maybe like one of the most understated, like these, this and Gridman are like very understated for trigger. Like obviously I say understated. There's a lot of like giant robots punching each other, but like character moments and stuff and just like how much they rely on that. Subtle uh, framing. Yeah. To tell the show's story and like just how like, you know, everything involving humans in the show is very like normal <laughs> and mm. like dramatic, which is not really triggers like, you know, uh, style usually like, especially if you look at something like Promare or even like little witch academia, like everything is yeah. very over the top, very like, you know, very acted. Yeah. Whereas in Gridman, it's very, you know, just kind of understated until the giant robots and Kaiju and giant heroes start showing up. Um, but setting it at the Tokyo Bay Aqualine and some other stuff that happens later on in the, the next two episodes we'll talk about have definitely made me think of Gynax more than maybe anything that Trigger has done so far with this show, for sure. I, I would agree. It certainly feels at times like this Evangelion adjacent in that characters, 
there's a there's a phrase I I once heard in a video review I watched of Star Trek Two of all things. It's stuck with me since then, <laughs> uh, in which the reviewer described um, how Kirk, played by William Shatner, is is often like you know a complete ham. He's oh, like yeah. the well well I think that you know we yeah. have to like he's just. And the thing is, though, like, they commented how there's a... Like, immediately after the famous Khan moment, there's a bit in which he's talking with... Uh, why can't I... It doesn't matter. He's talking with the lady, uh, the lady researcher. And he's talking in a very muted, like, kind of hushed, low voice. And the reviewer commented that, yes, yeah, sometimes William Shatner is the guy who screams Khan, but sometimes he's the guy who screams, like, ten times louder without going above a whisper. I thought, that's such a brilliant way of describing that. And that's the kind of thing I would use to describe how characters in um, Dino Zenon come across, particularly Minami. Uh, but also Kaiomi yeah. to some extent as well. Like, I'm not saying they're going through, like, the worst emotional trauma necessarily ever. With the possible exception of Minami, because he's still dealing with the suicide of his sister. But nonetheless... Like the emotive nature of what they say, like the, how much like their emotional volume is present, it's very very dialed back. And I keep thinking again. You brought up, for example, Pro Man. Now I can't remember the firefighter's name, which makes me feel very embarrassed. I know that um, is it Gallo, isn't it? Yeah, Gallo Finos. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. Gallo, like Gallo, does that trigger thing, and I've seen this also in BNA, and I've seen in Kill the Kill, where. He will like go up to someone and he will start like making this grand pontificating speech where he will be leaning into the opponent's face and he will be declaring like how powerful his guts and his heart, like, you know, his heart is and all that. It will be the most fiery, uh, hot blooded, like, you know, declaration of fuck you, you don't, I don't do what you tell me kind of thing, uh, you know, and the music swell. Like, it's very bombastic. It's very. Again, maybe hammy, but it works for that kind of material. That, I would argue, is what Trigger is known for. The bombast in their action is reflected with the bombast with the character moments. And that's fine. That that works well, because there's a nice synthesis between the two. Um, but in Diana Zenon, as you rightly point out, like the characters feel very restrained, very muted. They feel normal, for lack of yeah. a better term. And that's not a criticism of Trigger's other works. Like... They when it's implied with applied with intent and executed well, it works great there, and it works great here because again, implied with intent and executed really well. It's shocking to me, um, but it still whoever works. The, whoever the ADR director on this series is 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 doing a bang up job of making sure that a lot of these characters, uh, especially yeah, Yomogi, Minami, Koyomi, are really the big three of they're delivering ex their dialogue in extremely naturalistic ways. I mean, any anybody that, that speaks any level of Japanese will tell you that the way that they speak in Japanese in most anime is not reflective of like what conversational Japanese yeah. sounds like in the slightest, but there are exchanges, especially between Yomogi and Minami that are so muted and so normal that it's like, they sound more like an excerpt from like a J drama than you know, like yeah. even something like out of like a tokusatsu. I mean, usually tokusatsu dialogue is like somewhere in between anime and conversational Japanese a lot of the time, depending on you know who the actor is and and what series it is. But you know, even for tokusatsu, they're delivering some extremely extremely naturalistic performances, and I always like really commend anime that do that. Um, I remember Erased really uh especially like yeah. the, the main character i think mostly because the main character was actually played by a dramatic actor and not like a voice actor nice i did um, not know that 
yeah uh but even you know even aoyuki uh who who played the the main girl in that series i can't remember her name now but um, oh uh, hinazaki yeah yeah even she was delivering some extremely naturalistic dialogue in that show that was really atypical of her because she you know she's aoyuki she's like the hammiest of the ham when she wants it. she 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 plays an evil soul-sucking demon sword in fundamental yeah, fantasy exactly. at the moment she's shuten doji <laughs> from fate grand order which is like you know, at least your bones. Basically, the exact same voice as the soul sucking demon sword from Thunderbolt Fantasy. But, um, you know, it, it, I always really commend shows that 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 do that, um, when it's appropriate. And and you know, anime still really doesn't do that that often. Um, but this show, I feel like, shockingly, given its subject matter and how like over the top it is, really does have some like very you know natural human sounding dialogue in it at yeah. points there are obviously characters like galma and some of the kaiju eugenicists that like obviously don't talk like any normal person speaking in japanese would um but i'm it's cool to see both i mean it's they're cool. doing they're doing well for mummies you know they've they've been out of yeah. like the social loot for five thousand years they don't yeah. know how like to get down with the kids exactly they're trying they're trying um, uh, i do also i want to circle back real quick and just point out that um you did mention uh, you know i kept referring to her as the second she, yeah she does have a name it is anosalis and i i always forget about because like that that whole section of the original gridman anime is like such a blur to me but um she is like a sort of human reincarnation of a monster or a kaiju from the the tokusatsu series hmm. with the same name anosalis and at one point in Gridman, apparently, I don't really remember this and probably don't remember it mostly because I had completely forgotten about <laughs> this monster <laughs> when I watched that first Gridman show. But that monster shows up to, like, protect her at a certain point in in the Gridman anime, um, which is like the direct, you know, it's them showing like, oh, yeah, she's like the humanoid, ver- which is why she kind of looks like a frog or like a weird like turtle because mm. uh uh, or has like you know like that sort of like almost like amphibian reptile kind of like look to her face a little it's bit. It's Suyu's sister from My Hero yeah. Academia. There you uh, go. Anosalus, Anosalus is just a giant, a giant turtle in the original series. So uh, there is a direct connection between her and that. It's weird. There, she's like a weird hybrid character between that kaiju and the character that we already talked about. Um, because I, I'm looking at her original design now and or from the um from the gridman anime and even that had a trouble clef on it so they clearly were all always you know that kind of answers my question like they clearly had thought this out at least that far that they wanted to you know draw a connection between all these different various characters yeah anyway, not to not to sidetrack but i i wanted to gloss over that in case i get yelled out about on, on twitter later <laughs> i do not forget that I just had to be sure. <laughs> no one, no one's allowed to yell at Mark over Twitter. I won't yeah, allow especially it. Especially not yell about Gridman lore, which is a freaking mess as it is. <laughs> Don't fucking do it. Don't fucking do it. But yeah. you were saying, by the way, about like naturalistic dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something else I want to point out that um, has been present throughout the show, but to me felt a little like more noticeable this time around. Uh, and it's mostly because we get to see uh, Yamogi's like friend group. Uh, the, you know, the bunch of kids he hangs around with when he's not piloting giant mecha. But yeah. they do, like, there are things like, you know, where one of them feeds, like, there's the other girl with the mask down, she's, like, feeding the, the little pocky stick to her, sideways on. And then we get the thing where um, Minami just does, like, the little sideways chop into his, like, you know, abdomen. 
And I like that. There there are a lot of behaviors in this show, like characters like interact with each other or hang the way that like the kids hang around in schools and such like I mean, I've not been to school, of course, since I was in school as a kid, so I don't know like how this all works out. But mm. it feels like very authentic, very naturalistic behavior by people of that age. Like people act yeah, like the like age teens. they would. They yeah, they like feel like teenagers. teenagers, yeah. Now, they're not as annoying as teens actually are in real Thank life. Fuck. But but they yeah, they, they, they do feel like teens. Um, honestly, yeah. the only person that doesn't really act their age most of the time is Chise, but she's also shown in the show to be kind of a kind of a weird one as it is. I <laughs> so, I, I thought I thought you were gonna say Galmer, and I was like, is that because he doesn't well, like grow nest for brains? Yeah, Galma's five thousand years old, so he's allowed to yeah. he's allowed he's allowed to act however he wants. But he's uh, he's still got it. The characters that actually are the age that they look, uh yeah, they they you're right. There is a lot of like, you know, very sort of natural seeming, you know, goofy teenager behavior happening in that. Like uh, and also like the uh, Minami calling her friend mom all the time for like criticizing her on stuff, <laughs> for, like calling her bullshit on stuff, like that's good. I like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, yeah, they're, they're not fully there because honestly, real teenagers are like not people that I would necessarily want to follow <laughs> like day to day like this in a show. Uh, yeah. but they are, you know, they're good at, uh, you know, at least the, the like sort of like little behaviors that make them seem, uh, more human. Yeah, yeah, I agree. One thing, one point of comparison I'll make for people who list those podcasts, but if you haven't, I can go through it a little bit briefly anyway, is when myself and Doc covered Horimiya, um, this is not to drag on Horimiya, but what Horimiya did a lot of times, it had the anime sensibility of here's like chibi faces, here's like smoke and all that, mm-hmm. people's heads, that kind of thing. And that's a stylistic choice that was fine for that show. Yeah, I'm not going to complain about Because I think, but the, the point I'm going to make though is like the the characters in Horimiya, like, they still acted for the most part kind of like offensive teens, but, like, their behavior was, like, amplified and magnified and exaggerated through the lenses of these, you know, cartoonish moments where, you know, you had, like, Horimiya coming up behind, like, this random girl and, like, she's massive and she's got, like, a face that's covered in, like, darkness and, like, she's scowling, there's lightning and all that. And again, fine for the material, but... To Dino Zenon's credit, like to keep it grounded, and I think this is why it works alongside the giant robot stuff is and keeps it like you know um, the ground level stuff of our heroes like uh, relatable. Is they you don't get that? There's no like goofy. There's no either trigger sensibility of like you know people leaning right into the camera yelling in your face. There's none of that. There's none of the Horimiya stuff or like any of the chiefs. There's no nothing like in Fruits Basket. For all that those shows do have offensive behaviors, and again, not dragging them on this. Like Dino Zenon makes the smart choice of not indulging in that particular stylistic choice as well. Yeah, because it it would undercut the 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 tone of the show. I mean, the the, the tone of the show is already goofy as hell. But it's mm. goofy as hell in a way that anime usually isn't. It's like extremely, extremely dry, and extremely subtle. Like there's a moment in, in I want to say episode eight or nine where Auntie is walking upstairs. Mm. Yeah, it's in episode eight. Auntie's walking upstairs and he turns around to talk to Yamogi, who's behind him, and his sword just kind of clinks against the the railing, and they just kind of let that sink in for a second. No one comments on it. Yeah, yeah, because it's just like anyway 
Because it's, yeah, like them highlighting the absurdity of like the day-to-day of carrying around a giant katana with you through like a city environment. Like, yeah, it would be stupid. <laughs> it would be hitting stuff all the time. So it's like, yeah. that's the type of humor that this show brings to the table. And you're right. I think that like sort of like chibi faces or like slapstick stuff would really, yeah, like kind of interfere with the show's overall tone. But I will say the fact that th- it is uh, Akira Amemia of all people that is contributing to this show's sort of like muted tone is absolutely insane to me considering how the two other things that he's most known for are Inferno Cop and Ninja Slayer from animation. <laughs> Which you, are like, I mean, the, could not be more opposed to everything that the show is. <laughs> I, I mean, I it, like, there's that quote, like, you know, of writers using subsex for cows are, I feel like to, he yeah. would say, like, you know, subtlety is for, like, for weaklings and all that. Yeah, um, but, hey, I, I, I give him That's credit Hiroyuki, for his range. Hiroyuki Maishi, though, turned out to be that guy, and I guess uh, is even more subtle than Yo-Yo Shinari when it comes to, you know, uh, putting putting the tone of a thing together. So, yeah, I mean, I, hey, I'm proud of him. Proud of him for doing it. Mm-hmm. No bigger career glow up than going from Ninja Slayer into Gridman and Dinozenon. It's truly incredible. Mm. <laughs> I, 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 I just hope at some point that we get like the, just as a joke, like Inferno Cop fighting Dinozenon. That would be you, great. You you say that as maybe a joke, but I have been at the trigger panel at Anime Expo more than once where they have brought like bespoke like joke shorts to show the audience of characters from yes. Inferno Cop like blowing away Little Witch Academia characters and like Wow. Yeah. No, it's like legitimately they they make them just to piss off the people that make those shows good as they, they should like bring uh, yoshinari and amemia in and amemia will be like hey i i i think it was legitimately uh i think it was like right after luluko came out and they had imaishi and yoshinari there and yoshinari was like in the middle of making the little witch academia tv show and they had made this short that i guess amemia had directed where inferno cop fights sushi from uh from little witch academia and it was like one of maybe one of the dumbest things i've ever seen in my life and yo-yo shinari legitimately i don't think i've ever seen that man look more tired in my life Uh, just to piss him off we we have a we have a quick ad-lib question in the chat by the way from you can asking uh, you specifically mark do Uh you have any of those trigger dollars in in your wallet Oh man, I have one somewhere around here. I I, I, I wish I knew where it was. I uh... I thought I, I'm sorry, sister. I thought Yukinon was joking and like he was saying that you like had oh, a no. backhander. That's actually a thing. That's a thing. So at one of their panels, nice. Act, I think the last one that I went to, which would have been two years ago or maybe three years ago, um, before I start decided to stop going to AX because it was bad for my health. Um, but uh, they they came out. You know. Um, in Kill a Kill, when they go to Osaka and they fight the like kind of Daddy Warbucks character who oh when they when when um, Marco was doing Marco, like this yeah, and, goes, and they're literally shooting money out of like SMG like money SMGs at her yeah they had like essentially the real life equivalent of those guns where you would load a stack of bills in the top and then hold the trigger and it would just like <laughs> shoot them out and so. Uh, 
Wakabayashi, one of their producers and like one or two other staffers, like literally came out the back at the start of the panel and just ran through the audience, like rapid fire shooting these trigger dollars at people. And then I think like maybe four or five of them out of the stack of probably a thousand that they shot into the audience had like a thing on the back where you would like go up and they'd give you like a, you know, a signed print or something like that's that. That's amazing. Yeah. That's... No, I, I, that's a, that is a mark of distinction. If you have a trigger dollar this late in the game, uh, you, that's how you know you're cool. But yeah, no, I have them. I have one lying around here somewhere. I never really that, did anything with it. But. That, that is a curry <laughs> that won't, currency that won't suffer from inflation anytime soon. That's well, for sure. Yeah. It's like stuff like that. It, that is why it's no small wonder why trigger probably has a bigger fan base in the United States than they do in Japan, be, or at least, at least a more ravenous fan base, because, you know, I don't think I've ever seen an animation studio, their staff, like be so eager to like constantly come present at American conventions um, because they just don't receive the type of response in Japan that they do in the U S I mean, having been there for multiple panels of theirs it's like a you know it's like a rock concert yeah people are are just ravenous for 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 the stuff that they present and the way that they present it is more interesting than any anime panel i mean you know what and what other official studio panel you're going to go to where dudes come out the back shooting fake money into the crowd i mean it's it's you know if if they if they did it on the flow they'd basically be the joker from the tim burton batman film yeah basically. Um, but, but anyway, just just yeah. to go back to the comedic <laughs> elements of this, uh, like Dino Zenon also continues to be pretty good at still being funny in a dry way, as you say, like where characters yeah. will have those long pauses, like the conversation that you know Yamogi has with uh, Ansi, um, where there's just those pauses for like a solid second, and then he goes no, <laughs> yeah. and and of course and of course the uh, amazing little like you know like catching his sword on the stairs i mean he's imitated caliber so much he's even imitated his uh you know his clumsiness which is great yeah that the show like is it's so well-rounded in a shocking way now that i think about it like yeah i mean you've got so many different things here there's not of course any like great over political discussion or anything like that but you've got like a bit of romance going with Minami and Yamogi you've got the giant robot stuff of course you've got like the just the playing fun slice of life stuff that's happening like even with the eugenicists like having their grand day out uh you've got the comedic moments it delivers on a lot of stuff I'm it really does yeah um you cannot in chat has just brought up a point that I almost forgot as well which is in one of the previous episodes um Minami just yelled something beam yeah Uh, and that comes doing that that's the official name of that attack is the nantuga nantuga beam (laughs) i'm so glad that they kept that like the the writers of this show have a really good appreciation for how to do gags and also repeated gags as well um without them becoming overly like stale or obnoxious like it's very subtle it's very dry and it works brilliantly well, it's it once again returns to the point that I made on, I, I believe, the last episode where, that we talked about this, which was that there is nobody in the anime industry better at playing with the conventions of anime itself than Trigger. Um, they they know their shit. I mean, there there are no bigger anime fanboys in the industry than, than the people who are <laughs> Trigger. If you look at their desks in their office, I mean, you'll see. It's just, you know, they... they they know the stuff that they're they're you know the milieus that they're working in better than anybody else and um so yeah like the nantuka beam and like i, I know i mentioned the stuff in kill a kill where like the 
the words on the screen would then just become physically manifested in the world for like a, <laughs> a temporary bit of time just to like play around with that particular convention. And like, yeah, so it's, it's, um, I, 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 I do. Yeah. I mean, nobody does it better than trigger in that department and nobody does it in a way better in a way where it's like not annoying because in a lot of ways there's nothing more annoying than like, you know, like, Oh, is that a Jojo reference? Like, is that an Evangelion reference? Like you rarely see that type of yeah. stuff in trigger anime. Cause they've seen it, you know, they've seen it all before. So, um, they're inventing their said, own thing. That being said, there is at least one extremely overt Evangelion reference that we'll get to. And I believe, uh, episode nine, at least that's how I'm reading it, but nice. We'll get nice. There. Um, Okay, so my next talking point. What's my next talking point? I've got notes here. I've got to read my notes. Um, okay, so let's talk a bit more about, because I'm going to use this also as a setup for my second slash song. I've got a couple of different things I want to cover. Still fit to go. Gotcha. Um, which is, let's talk about the idea of team-ups and crossovers, because hmm. make no mistake, bringing in anti-Grid Knight, great on paper, but fraught with risk. Uh, yeah. Why do I say risk? Because the thing that you want to do is you want to make absolutely damn sure that bringing in someone else from a different, like, well, I'm, I, we'll say franchise for the sake of our argument here, even though it's tech, I mean, because Gridman's a different show, but it's still, you know yeah. what I mean, basically. It's all part of the um, same universe. Yeah. It, it risks um, disenfranchising and devaluing Dinazenon the robot and Dinazenon as the characters. In the oh, they got the crap kicked out of them, and now Anti's here, and he's gonna save the day. There you go. You know who yeah. cares anymore about about our bunch of muppets, like you know, driving around in their silly little submarines and whatnot. Um, but I think this, I think the writers do understand the balance that's needed here, because conversely, you don't want to similarly bring in a character from a different show uh, and have them then get completely backhanded to just artificially show how good the heroes that you like started in this show are you know that you use them as cannon fodder like as red shirts to prove how serious the situation is and the show strikes a good balance with that because make no mistake anti comes in and saves dino xenon from getting blown the fuck up but then the way the subsequent fight is structured in episode seven is they have to work together to defeat the kaiju yeah Anti can't beat it on his own, uh, and we get the as a result like th this like union of them two working together gives us the amazing like finale combination attack, the Dinozenon you son of a bitch moment. Uh, the this is like all the evidence you ever need to prove that you should always write a team up with the intent of making both sides like have si significant and worthwhile contributions to conflicts because then you through that synthesis you get the glory of these like you know characters and giant robots coming together and wrecking shit or even just like you know this is where i'll foreshadow my criticism of the, of episode nine and the you know you said it was the greatest tension moment in like what was it trigger history basically uh, yeah and i and i agree uh, but i have second greatest second greatest sec second greatest second greatest but I, and I, I agree, but I think a part of it rings a little hollow to me. And I'll explain why. Um, so to give the backstory on this particular episode, of course, we have uh, Gold... What? Burn. Yes, uh, Goldburn. 
Yeah. Yeah, we have Goldburn, which is uh, Chise was like, you know, had this seed that was gradually turning into what looked like a dragon, and now it has become a kaiju. But then it comes a kaiju that she can control. Um, and this then, of course, leads into the battle with the kaiju of the week, which, in order to beat it, after some emotional tumult with uh, Minami and Chise herself, in which they trade, like, you know, points about, you know, don't pretend like you have nothing, that kind of thing that um, Chise says to Minami, where we also have hints of Chise's backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, we get, of course, the Kaiser Grip Knight moment. And the Kaiser Grip Knight moment, it's flawless, immaculate chef's kiss spectacle it's great and they yeah. know like the guys creating this show knew it like the literal fact that once like the transformation is complete the sun rises you're like fucking hell the only thing you're missing there is god rays yeah. that's it that's all you need and of course the diners in on chorus and the fight itself is awesome uh the finishing blow is awesome we get as you noticed on your twitter i spotted before the firework display to, uh, for the festival kicking off in the post-victory moment uh yeah. the cape the cape is, I mean... The cape is see, the best thing about the entire thing. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's super Kaiser Grid Knight. All yeah. of that is great. But here's where I have to, unfortunately, criticize it. And I don't want to criticize, and I love those, like, you know, Henshin fans, I mean, they're going to be, like, you know, forming up into a giant human robot of their own and just barging through my door any minute. But <laughs> the, the, the issue I take with this is... Diana Zenon as a show has made very clear, particularly with how episode 7 opens, in that the eugenicists are on top because they are working together, two of them in tandem, versus, you know, our group who are, you know, disaffect, like, you know, they they have their own, like, burdens, they're not, like, able to put them aside for the benefit of the fight. It makes a very clear link between how, like, you know, the, the like, the growth of the characters and the growth of their ability to fight. Um, and that's fine, that works. That's good. I like that. It might overall, if you get reductive, be a bit simplistic because it is just, you know, strength of will basically boiled down. It's not too dissimilar from stuff we've seen in all sorts of things like Persona, JoJo's, you name it. But it, it works. I like it. The problem I have, though, is the fact that the transformation gives Grid, Grid a knight. Like, you know, he's the one like wearing the Marla's armor, but there is no arc for him that gels with what's happening to the rest of them. Like, the episode is about Chisei and Minami, but there's something about the way that the fact that like Kaiser Grid Knight is designed the way he's where he's wearing a bazaar that seems to give him kind of like a visual weight to him that is not merited by the fact that nothing has really happened. Like Auntie's arc completed before this show even began. Now that does not preclude the possibility of there being other arcs later on, of course. I'm not saying that like, you know, that's it, nothing more can be done with him. But the episodes have not been about him, and yet just simply by virtue of how the robots are designed and the way the transformation works. Um, it seems like, you know, it's mostly about him and not about the other two, if you follow my meaning. I, I can, I, I did not read it that way. And the reason why I didn't read it that way is probably twofold. Number one, it has been established in this universe already that that is just kind of how it's gonna, it's gotta work. If you got a mecha thing and a giant hero thing, the giant hero goes inside the mecha (laughs) And that's just kind of how it goes. Um, So I didn't really take too much issue with that. Uh, Also, mostly because Andy really did not have a whole lot of dialogue during any of that henching sequence and afterwards. Um, But it, the, the ironically, well, maybe not ironically, but in a very silly way, 
the only thought that I had during this entire thing, and I kept saying it out loud, was just the power of friendship. <laughs> and I know that's like the biggest anime cliche ever, but this is like maybe the most pure manifestation I've ever seen of the power of friendship. It's, it's awesome. Like, it's, it struck me as like a very, like a, a culmination of like a very mutual thing of just like everybody finally gets like that the only way that we're going to triumph is everything has to become one thing. Um, mm -hmm. So like, I can totally understand, um, you know, the read of like, well, why the, why the hell is like auntie, like the central, like, you know, figure of this, you know, transformation sequence. But I think that ultimately some respect has to be paid to the conventions of like yeah the the like actual mechanics of this shit because it is you know it's a subaraya production and i think that it probably is wishful thinking to think that like it there wasn't going to be some like giant hero nonsense happening at some yeah. point so I, I honestly didn't expect it like before anti was introduced i honestly thought that this was just going to be an out and out mecha show and that they were just going to be doing something different um but now that it's happened i'm 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 glad that it is you know the yeah. way it is um but yeah i just think that ultimately it, it's less about you know a a metaphorical representation of like everybody's emotional arcs in the show and more just like everybody has to combine and this is just kind of the only way that we can do it and for yeah. it to make sense because it's it's the rules are established. It happened in SSSS Gridman. It happened in original Gridman. This is just kind of how it has to go. Um, yeah, and, I I absolutely yeah. hear you on that. Um, and I think that rather than the transformation sequence um, being changed to fit around us, what I think might have benefited this um, is if we there was more time spent to anti like actually interacting with the rest of the group because his interactions yeah. are mostly with Yamogi. Um, you can count Gamma, but I think his interactions are more of the physical kind where he just beats the shit out of him. Um, <laughs> That's it, true. I, I think that if that, I think if there had been time devoted to those, that would have helped as well. Because um, I think also part of the issue here is I think that unintentionally there's a bit of symmetry between Chise and uh, <clears throat> Minami in terms of what their chosen like kaiju mechs are, and that they're both flying mechs. Now, I grant you, you're entirely right to say that maybe this is just that you shouldn't take it necessarily as metaphor. I mean, I made the previous three, for example, that Gamma's machine was a submarine and we didn't know how to trust him, not yet. But, <laughs> yeah, but one, but one, you know, probably shouldn't read too much into that. I think you're right. But part of me thinks that there was potential here for um, you know, the the parallel between the two of them, like, you know, having the power of flight. I could have seen a different... I mean, again, this is fan-wankery shit, so I apologise for this. Take it for what it is. But I could have seen <laughs> the, the, a different kind of fight sequence where, you know, following some, like, you know, like, character develop between them, like Chise um, gets gold, um, gold burn to combine with Grid Knight so he can fly, and then you've got Dino Zenon flying as well, and you can have that kind of... I... Basically, my complaint is... It's all awesome. It looks fantastic. I have no issue with that whatsoever. But I think that to me, there's a, a little bit of an unavoidable element of the who like gets the most visual affordance, like the most visual priority. And that is regrettably, again, as you say, just by virtue of how it's designed, going to be Grid Knight. Um, 
I, but, I actually, I, I'm literally sitting here on Twitter watching the sequence right now as as we talk because I I wanted to remind myself. I actually kind of want to push back against that a little bit because if you look at the design of the the like the final design of Grid Knight or Kaiser Grid Knight or whatever the hell it's mm-hmm. called, there's like probably 50 different names for it. When it actually is finished transforming. Really, the only recognizable aspect of Grid Knight is like the top of the shoulders and the head, and the mm. rest of it really is very dominated by Dinazenon and Goldburn. I mean, Goldburn yeah. is covering the whole entire front of the chest. The entire legs and arms are all just like completely, you know, Dinazenon, and then you have wings, which I don't even. I guess Goldburn and Dinazenon combined. I don't know. I'm just trying to work out like the visual style here. But yeah, I, I, I honestly, my, my read of it is, is that like Dinazenon gets the most love out of, out of anybody in that, in that sequence. Um, once it's finished, obviously like in the sequence itself, Grid Knight plays a pretty central mm-hmm. role, but that was the thing that honestly, the thing that struck me and why I maybe had a different read on it than you did was because remembering what the all the hen, weird henching stuff from the original gridman gridman was always like super obvious regardless of like what configuration they were using it was like gridman with big ass arms or like gridman with wings or whatever <laughs> you know only you know maybe once or twice was gridman just like completely encased in armor and, and somewhat unrecognizable whereas here this really strikes me as like way more of like a like I, I hesitate to even call it a mutual split because honestly, looking at this thing once it's done, there's very little grid knight that I'm actually seeing other than like yeah. a little bit of the head. And even Goldburn's thing, that thing clamps down over its head, and it's I mean, again, this is nitpicking, and like you said, fan wankery, which is a fantastic word. Um, but yeah, I think I don't know. I think we could probably agree to disagree on this and have different reads on it. Yeah, that's totally fine I, I, it's literally just a bunch of pretty colors and good 2d animation <laughs> yeah i i mean you, you, i mean the thing in my head that i'm thinking of here is the transformation sequence you say and that to me is like when i kind of put it in my mind like that uh grid knight is wearing them as armor and i feel like you could have done something with that in the story yeah but i will leave it there because make no mistake people listening at home and fresting like you know to suddenly you know pilot a light aircraft through my front window um <laughs> i still thought that the actual like sequence uh, all of it was fucking great. It was it was great. It gave me that big kid feeling again, like yeah. I mentioned before. Like it just felt great to watch. And There's gotta my... be moments in the <clears throat> show, regardless of like how many times that they're trying to like buck conventions, where you just gotta do some cool, like big robot. Yeah, exactly. Stuff. And make no mistake, having the dinosaur soldier, the what you think is typically the core part of like a mecha, um, become a shoulder mounted cannon another another gridman reference by the way that is a nice a direct reference to it's called the dynamic cannon in this and it's it was originally called the dragonic cannon in og gridman um, nice both og gridman and now kaiser grid knight have uh <laughs> uh dragon flamethrower rocket launchers lasers it's it's the it's it's the shoulder attachment the Doom Slayer has in Doom Eternal, yeah. basically. Well, there <laughs> is, is the moment. There is also a moment in Episode Eight where Yomogi transforms to it, and Grid Knight just straight up uses him as like an RPG, basically, yep. to shoot that one kaiju. So, but it's, you're right. It's it great. eventually gets to the point where it yeah, it just turns into the Predator, the thing from Predator. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other Predator reference. Yeah. We're getting all of them in. Yeah, there you, you know, go. if any, if we get a helicopter thing next, though, I'm gonna pop off. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, we crap. do. I did want to point out that we do. We do literally just have a an absolute smorgasbord in that scene of just like the show giving us everything that we could ever possibly want. Yeah. We have the full version of the like the full like March version of the Dinazenon theme, which is incredible. God loves Shirasugisu. He finally like. I remember mentioning one of my biggest complaints about original Gridman was I don't think that Shira Sugisu was really utilized as well as, as, as he could have been. Mm-hmm. And I am happy to say that I do not have that same complaint about this because uh, there's a moment in episode eight, the moment where Yamogi and Auntie are searching for the Kaiju. And that is probably the most out and out, just them mm-hmm. straight up copying Hideaki Anno's style from Evangelion because the, the, the pensive piano piece sounds exactly mm. like something out of evangelion it's literally a montage of like very wide shots you never see their faces you never see their lips moving but they're having a very long in-depth conversation about the nat- nature of kaiju that is extremely extremely a sequence that you would see out of evangelion and i didn't even mean that earlier when i said that there was a direct reference to evangelion uh that but that like I, I think I put in my notes that that is like something that they're gonna people are rightfully going to compare the show to evangelion based on and based on that sequence alone i say they should because <laughs> mm-hmm. it is stylistically at least very very evangelion but we we hear the fantastic grid night march there's the laser cape there's the power of friendship and then the opening starts playing it's got yep. literally everything that you could possibly want in a big climactic battle and this is only episode nine yeah how are, they, how, are they, how are they gonna beat how are they gonna beat that good good I luck know. with that i guess yeah <laughs> my so. god um okay anyway i'll uh, pass the buck over to you again mark do you have any other talking points to throw in um well i i should get this out of the way uh because uh, i did mention evangelion references there is a mm. moment in episode nine where um goldburn turns into a shield and blocks yes. the beam I, w- I really, really, really want to say that that is a direct reference to Operation Yashima in, in Evangelion, where Rei is holding the giant shield in front of Shinji, like, laying down in Unit 1 with, oh, like, with the big particle the, rifle. Oh, that's the diamond-shaped one, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, Ra- Ramiel, everybody's favorite angel, uh, <laughs> shoots the giant particle beam, and it, like, deflects off the shield and makes this crazy, you know curved like laser patterning and ray is standing there and it the shield is the exact same shape it's shooting a beam it's deflecting in a very similar manner sheer sugisu is doing the music i mean it's like that's got that's gotta be a little bit of a nod and uh at least in my that's my read it could also just be a very like anime moment that i'm just reading too far into because of the music especially the music is the real that's the thing that tricks you when you hear the guy that did Evangelion's music doing Evangelion-like music over a scene, hmm. you're like, yeah, I gotta like, I I have to remind myself that not everything is Evangelion if it has this music. But um, I, I mean, if it sounds, it's like the old thing. If it sounds like it, if it looks like it, I mean, like comparisons, but like a duck. Yeah, comparisons for that are just in their own form of high praise. Like, and hey, yeah. if, if if it's there, it's there. Um. This is a rare show where I feel like they are justified in making Evangelion references and not just because they have staff from Evangelion working on it, mm-hmm. uh, but because, yeah, I mean, like, you know, people people made those reference or people made that comparison with Gridman 
And people got really mad at that, mostly because I feel like that's a knee-jerk reaction now because, you know, uh, bad bad journalists often compare everything to Evangelion without really mm. knowing whether or not something is actually similar or not because that's, like, one of their only frames of reference. <laughs> and, like, I get it. But much how, like, not every person making a pose is a JoJo reference uh not everything is a reference to evangelion but like to push back against that a little bit i would say that if if you're going to compare a show to evangelion gridman and dinazenon are not bad shows to do it well there was um, an explicit visual reference to evangelion in gridman with the scene in which rika is ringing yeah. from the telephone it's the same green phone book the same framing as when shinji is doing that in one of the Evangelion episodes, so yeah, believe Which me, like is more evidence as to the like the Goldburn Shield moment being a reference to that scene in 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 the original Evangelion. So, yeah, I'm going to choose that. That's what that was because that was very fun and I enjoyed it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so just a couple of other things to discuss then. Um, the one thing I want to mention very quickly is just regarding Chise because we finally get some backstory on her. Uh, ostracized right. from um. Her school seems to draw a lot. Um, I she think has a because, tattoo. Yeah, that At was the thing that we that was the yeah. thing that we talked about last time when she had that sleeve, and that's why she wears it to hide it. Um, yes. Also, she's in another outfit for once that isn't her default one, and thank fuck for that because every time I look at her default fit, it's just ah. Yeah, and that new outfit is fantastic. Makes me wish that it was her regular outfit. Yeah, exactly. Weird, like uh, Tim Burton striped arm cover. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Um, but I mean, her whole arc with Goldburn is in of itself a continuation of what we said about the kaiju previously. It is, uh, you know, an almost similar thing to what happened with Anti, of course, because he yeah. was a kaiju, but then he became like, you know, a force for good, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. it just adds that other layers of ambiguity, but also, uh, sorry, ambiguity, uh, those layers of complexity where it's not as simple as kaiju bad, you know. But on top of that, it gives her something that she's finally, I believe, even if not openly spoke about, wanted all this time, which is to contribute to the battles in a more direct way exactly um and it's a flyer again you know it's a flying robot which i think is also works really well for just that kind of like emotional freedom it it, it works you know whether or not that's intended or it's just simply a function of it being of you know because we wanted another flying robot i don't know yeah. but i i think that you know it's not unreasonable to say that given that you know like the kaiju like goldberg itself becomes a force for good is tied into like emotional state and her emotional state is getting better over time. Like, you know, where she has these moments, like why not? It's not yeah. unreasonable reading in my opinion. So yeah, good to see that they got the backstory. And finally, even if it was at the end of the show near enough, although I would again say that perhaps to some extent, I wish that there would have been little hints of this here and there beforehand in the same way that we get with Kyomi, because Kyomi's like backstory has been gradually been building up. We learn, for example, that um, Imoto was like, you know, found with like a massive sack of cash. Yeah. Again, just more evidence that something real not good was going on there with her. <laughs> he probably made the I... decision ultimately, I think. Yeah. But he still uh, he, probably he... has a lot of conflicted feelings about his relationship with her yeah sure i mean that's the whole motif of this show it's the idea of being trapped being imprisoned uh and what of one of the eugen one of the eugenicists said at one point of course was the idea that you know relationships can actually weigh you down um so i think in the end it's gonna turn like you know turn turn your chains into you know break free of your chains 
and turn them into strength kind of thing would be the overall yeah. guess I would go with. That would make the most sense. Um, so, I only have one other talking point to make, really, uh, with respect to the show. I mean, there's a lot, of, there's tons of stuff I could probably talk about, but there's one final thing I want to really end the, the show on, and I'll get to that in a moment. Do you have any other talking points you want to go through, Mark? Um, oh, yeah. My, my biggest question at the end of episode nine, because there is probably more hints at um, Yomogi and Minami's, like, burgeoning, like, romantic relationship happening than perhaps any other point in the series. I mean, her literally going out of her way to go home and change into, like, this beautiful Yukata, clearly to be seen by him, um, is, you know, a pretty pretty big point. But, you know, Dinazenon and, and Gridman and, and Trigger in general are, are pretty famous for, for bucking a lot of conventions or, like, playing with conventions. So my biggest question is, will they buck the, the, the biggest, you know, sort of pseudo-shonen anime convention of them all and will yomogi and minami actually get together by the end of Please. the series like concretely um and i hope they do because i really like them as a couple and again like yeah. you know we, we're talking about uh things feeling very natural like they this generally feels like a very good like you know appropriately framed um like sort of well i, I don't want to say healthy because their first interaction was literally based on her ghosting him but <laughs> mostly <laughs> healthy uh uh you know uh uh hetero relationship and like i'll tell you it's not often that i root for a hetero relationship in anime these days but uh, <laughs> I, I i am rooting for them and i hope that trigger and uh Tsuburaya are both brave enough to like actually let it happen like commit yeah um, like like commit to it like show it I don't even need a kiss, just like holding hands or like some implicit like acknowledgement that like by the end of the show, like they are in a rom romantic relationship. Well, so. I'm going to go, I'm going to go one bear and make a hard call out because the thing that Minami has been holding her back all this time is represented by one particular item. It's those anks, the, the mm. links she cannot break. So what if we replace the link, like she throws that away and then the ending shot is of them holding hands as the new link she has fought. Boom! boom back in or, the net or like i don't know she has her hand on one of them and yomogi like grabs the other one and just like they oh. immediately come apart. oh snap yeah there i can see go. that i i can see that yeah him helping I, her I, break her chains yes i i mean i speaking from my own perspective as a cisset guy here when it comes to cisset relationships and shows like i feel poorly served by them for the most time because the guy in the relationship is usually a complete what yes like how many isekais have that kind of thing going on honestly yeah. uh but i'll not i'll not beat that drum again um so i feel starved of the of like seeing relationships where it is just this kind of thing where you can see the chemistry i mean the little jab thing that kind of stuff you know yeah. even even just the visual cues like there's this amazingly like well-framed like shot on the bus um that has like you know minami's face between the bars and she's like literally divorced from him in space on the frame um but in the lit in the bookend element of that episode when they get to the back on the bus again she's free of them now and she sat next to him and of course there are the scenes of them like at the railings and stuff where they gradually get closer together like there's a lot of good chemistry um yeah. I want to see it happen. Um, so please commit to it, Trigger. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's to me also encapsulates a lot of how I feel about Dinosaur at this point, where it can 
and has delivered on the amazing spectacle of like giant transforming like gestalt robots with capes and sunrises and choruses and all that the grand op the grand operatic nature of all of that but then it has the little moments it has the moments about the people driving these robots it has the moments like where they interact they have problems and all that that feel authentic that feel meaningful and feel compelling to watch you want to find out what's next so if it can deliver on the absolute insanity of kaiser grid Knight, I don't yeah. see any reason why they can't have the courage to deliver on, you know, the more softer moment of two people falling into a relationship with each other after all this time. Please I let it happen. So. I mean, they and literally uh, ended Gridman with, like, not anime. Like, they, they literally, like, went out of anime and shot in the real world for the final mm-hmm. shot of an anime. So, like, if they're willing to go that far, then they should be willing to do basically anything in my opinion yeah absolutely <laughs> um do you have any other talking points um i think that's pretty much it uh futaba seems like a dickhead oh yeah um but other than that yeah i mean like yeah like you said there's little things but uh, we could nitpick all day we We've could well the almost two hours so yeah the 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 final thing i'll mention uh well firstly you can always ask me what the t-shirt is and it's all the sailor senshi so there you go. there you go got this got this from qwerty it's too big for me though so that's why i only wear it for streaming because you can't see how baggy it is on the lower end uh Mine but anyway that's also just as cute which is junji ito's go <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say that that t-shirt like looks like it would glow in the dark Oh, do you ever wake? Do you, do you do you do you ever wake up and all of the ghosts in that t-shirt have vanished and they might uh, pray it I, never happens. I yeah, I pray to God that I never wake up and 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 see that thing hanging on my drying rack. <laughs> creep. I'm already creeped out enough by the weird fish monsters from Go. I don't need them showing up in my bedroom at night. <laughs> fair, fair. Um. So the final talking point I'll end on, and the note I'll end our discussion on, uh, before we get to racing the episodes is you have, and funny enough, we perfectly segued into this by talking about their relationship. Is there's an amazing little like shot uh, after she arrives in the kimono to the firework festival, the little, the little beach party they've got going, where I don't know who does. Wh- I'd have to go and have a look, and specifically as to the dress on the ar- wrists of the arms to identify because it's quite close up shot. But they have um firework uh, sparklers whatever you all call them i don't yeah. know what they were but sparklers but um i think that uh, at least either way that you want to read it one of them lights the others and what a beautiful visual image for the, both their relationship and also what this show is trying to get across which is that by coming together like we can literally light things up yeah. I thought that was such a powerful little moment for the two of them. Like, you know, that one person's, like, passion, like, helps ignite another's. It's yeah. a great little way to end that episode. Um, fantastic moment. Loved it. Yeah. Mwah. Great. Great three episodes. Fuck yeah. Really, um, really good. But how great, I suppose. This is my tangential segue onto racing the episodes. Uh, Mark, I'll pass it over to you. Out of five, give me your, uh, give me your feelings. Uh, I'm going four point five out of five on these last, nice last three. I um, have been having an absolute blast with this show, but these past three episodes are truly like I, I have had so much fun <laughs> watching yeah. these past three episodes. They really have kept me glued to to them in a way that i can't remember an anime especially a currently airing seasonal anime doing in at least as long as the pandemic has been going on if not longer um 
and uh yeah i just i i can't say enough enough good about them um honestly i'd give them five out of five if it wasn't cliche but uh 4.5 out of five uh i feel like is completely reasonable and uh yeah i i i genuinely love the show a lot (laughs) yeah i i hear you on that absolutely um for me i am going to give uh 4.25 robot bro shakes out of five uh because that's what it is um for all the reasons sorry i I forgot to get 4.5 laser capes out of five yes thank you (laughs) well I mean, there we I go. We got the around. format for a second. We, we, it's fine. It's fine. We got we got both of the like key visual moments for the robot stuff, which is the bro shake and, of course, the laser cape. The laser cape. Be- yeah. It's a cape made out of lasers. The fuck else do you want? Uh, exactly. But yeah, four point two five out of five for me. Why? Well, for everything I've said, of course, but just also because I want to reiterate that this show it feels so wonderfully well-rounded in what it's currently covering. Like, it gets the robot stuff right. It gets the human drama right. It gets the comedy right. It gets the visuals right, like the subtlety of it, along with the big spectacle. Like, it's doing really well in all of its areas that it's choosing to tackle. Again, my grievances are because I'm a picky bastard and I'm not easily pleased. Um, And I wish there was a different way that that final fight could have delivered both on the meaning of, like, you know, the combining with, you know, the actual specimen. But make no mistake, still a killer moment. Gonna be in all the, like, you know, that's that's a YouTube clip right there, of course, you know, if ever there was one. Like, people are gonna be going back to time and like, fucking hell. And how the show's gonna top itself now, I don't know. But the final thing I'll also say is that I felt that, like, Dinah Zenon was living in Gridman's shadow a little bit up until this point. I've gone on record saying that on the previous podcast. And it's actually kind of ironic, but kind of apt, that with the introduction of a prominent character from Gridman, Dinah Zenon the show has now escaped that show's shadow, in my opinion, and become its own worthwhile entity, which kind of blows my mind when I phrase it like that. Yeah. But that's what it's done. And all the more power to it for doing that. Well fucking done, guys. Yeah, and I would also say that, like, in doing that, it has also essentially made itself essential viewing for people that uh, watched Gridman, considering yes. how it is now fleshing out stuff that I thought was, like, uh, like undercovered in the original Gridman. Yeah, under- undercooked. Grid- yeah, if you want to treat Gridman like its own... Um, you know, its own self-contained story, which I'd argue now with the existence of Dinozenon and it being as good as it has been, I would say that it probably isn't. Um, or at least it's, it certainly was not intended to be because like, you know, how much they have now like retroactively intertwined so much of Gridman's lore into Dinozenon. Um, yeah, it's essentially just like turned itself into like a must watch for people that like want to know about, you know, a lot of these like secondary characters from Gridman, which you know needed fleshing out, and they probably didn't have enough time to do so in the original show, and that's what Dinozenon's for. Yeah, so. I, I mean to to go back to some of our original discussion about the idea of universes, like it's easy to be cynical about like some like a, you know creating a cinematic anime verse thing, whatever you want to call it, because yeah. it can be seen just simply as like you know the hot new way of printing money, and make no mistake. Which, the me- yeah, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> and, and I'll and I'll be fair here, like you know, we can't obviously say that Dinah Zenon is not intended to be a profitable enterprise because it surely oh, is. God, yeah. yeah, 
and no doubt, like, you know, in some way, the uh, universe element has probably been incorporated as a way of making it happen. Like, I don't... But let me just put my cynicism aside and say that this, like, whole idea of this, like, Gridman universe thing, we got to see it finally be truly, like, brought in in this uh, batch of episodes, and it's paid off. Um, so I... Yeah, I'm glad that they've done it. It's not it's not to the point where i feel entirely like it's just a shallow like uh trapping a shallow like you know writing or construction method of the fiction it's just actually you know it's delivering stuff that justifies its its existence um yukinon in chat asks do you think any of the other characters from gridman might make an appearance my honest answer to this is if they are ever going to do the triumvirate which will be dinazenon grid well dinazenon goldburn gridman and grid knight let do it do what they did with Thunderbolt Fantasy of all things where they had a spin-off film. Give us yeah. a spin-off like give us a spin-off film where Gridman returns. Uh and then we get like a, a threat that demands all three of them come together. It doesn't need to be a whole series. I'll but tell give you us what. that. I really don't like like the practice of uh, having a TV anime uh, eventually culminate in a film that we in America will have to wait like six months. Oh, we God, in the West, yeah. I guess I should say, we'll have to wait six months to a year, if ever, to get localized and released, depending on how popu- popular the thing is. But yeah, if, if Dinazenon ended and they essentially used that to announce like a, a theatrical film, like, I, 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 like, I've been waiting for the moment when my premiere uh, theatrical experience would have been topped. And I think that, might be the thing to do it which is yeah and, both uh, but <laughs> like and it's funny I, that it's funny you say that because promare itself like being such a success it was would arguably justify that film coming over quick like in a reasonable yeah, time frame exactly and i also cannot imagine a trigger thing other than promare that would make more sense as a theatrical production than than you know something with giant heroes and massive robots and kaiju i mean you want to talk about like how you know, just thunderous that experience would be from start to finish in the theater. I mean, it would be incredible. So, yeah. I, I mean, I imagine the, like, Kaiser Grid Knight moment on the big screen. I would I would literally probably strangle someone right now just to see that. I would pop <laughs> off. I, w- I would pop yeah. off, yeah. I, I agree. Um, um, but, yeah, I, I, I kind of hope... I kind of hope not, honestly, that, that we don't see any more characters from Gridman, or if we do, that they're, like you know, a, uh, I'm trying to think of like, just kind of like, uh, a, a brief reference here or there or something, or just like the, you know, the, what is that line from the last, uh, the really bad last star Wars movie, like the generations of us now live on in you like that type of, Oh movie. God. Like, I, yeah, I, but I, I think we, we have enough grid man characters in this now. I think like, I, we're, we're at the perfect balance. Uh, any yeah. anything else would be just uh too much i say that now but if they do it right then you know i won't complain. yeah Pro- properly <laughs> executed it, it would be fine i mean when you said that by the way about the whole skywalker thing all i could think of was i'm so glad that at no point as anti said to yamogi like you remind me of him yeah and i'm like no Shh, no that's cringe <laughs> i don't want cringe in this you've yeah, got it right no so far allowed. keep keep making it keep doing it right but anyway uh, that otherwise brings us to the end of the podcast so thank you very much to everyone who's listened live or maybe listening uh you know when this comes out in mp3 format um thank you very much for your time and your uh your patience and your patronage it's 
always immensely appreciated. Um, Gone Ben and I expect to give Doc as beer, and he is sorely missed, make no mistake. Um, just so people are clear, um, Doc is going to be away for a couple of weeks owing to both his vacation and work commitments, but the show will continue. Uh, it may very well be the case that it will just be me doing it solo for some of our podcasts, but that will be determined as we go along, of course. But unless, uh, Warri show will continue uninterrupted once per week, regardless of the fact that Doc's not here, because, damn it, we're just stubborn like that. <laughs> um, but, of course, you know, this has not been a one-man show today. Joining me uh, and helping me for us, and I've had a great time talking with you, of course, Matt. Um, would, so first, I just want to say thank you very much for taking the time to go through this again. You, like, on all the previous pods on Dinosaur, oh, we'll, of course, have you back for the finale. Um, why I'm just so wanted to ask... Yeah, I know, I, I can't <laughs> wait as well. But what I wanted to ask you before we uh, wrap up here is, could you just very quickly just shout out your stuff tell the world about what you do what where you can find your stuff what to look out for in the near future yeah sure um uh onoanime.moe is the website that has uh that will literally just put you right on a page with every single link that you could ever possibly want for for the stuff that i make um i have some stuff in the works i i'm working on a video it has been an extremely <laughs> stressful time uh uh trying to buy a, a a new car so i have not been working on that basically at all but uh that thankfully now is behind me uh and so i will be uh yeah i mentioned it on the last podcast that we did but i am uh, working on a update to our virtual youtubers video from a couple of years ago so nice uh if you've been into that stuff at all or are curious about it i'm trying to make it as comprehensive as possible so uh, look forward to that coming out sometime in the coming weeks, months, when, whenever it happens. <laughs> Much like Definitely CD Projekt Red falsely said with uh, Cyberpunk 2077, well, it will come out as... when it's ready. But this was actually going to come out when it's ready. And so. hopefully not in a in a horrendously buggy and uh, yeah. broken state, one exactly. would hope. I, I mean, I trust you on that. I trust you more than CD Projekt Red on that. Bastards leaked my fucking <laughs> password once. Oh, Anyway. Nice yeah that's that's discussion for a different day that's discussion for a different day though but yeah um so thank you very much for joining us mark and um, for the um if you're listening at home and you know want to help support worry death show get yourself on to firstly following us on the old social media at worry death show on twitter you can find me at shame 1010 um if um oh by the way uh, we have a question here from Yukinon. um just ask if he can message you or dm you on twitter because he's got uh, questions about uh hollow live and vtubers yeah, in particular absolutely yeah um, um you message me on my uh i think i don't know what links are available but uh i am at vermillionaire on twitter with a three at the end instead of an e um and that is my private twitter if you got any questions about anything we talked about today or uh yeah vtubers uh feel free to shoot me a message there if you're not and follow me if you're not already following me um because i'll probably see it there first rather than the ono anime account because i'm almost never on that thing so Fair play. Um, and so, as for Warrior Desha, like, you know, say, follow us on the social media and find me at Shane1010 on Twitter. Um, if you have the time and the uh, finances for it, do feel free to support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Warrior Desha. Helps us make more shows like this. Hell, allows you to get involved in both asking us questions about the shows that we cover, but also getting involved in selecting shows for us to cover, which is a key part of our benefits. Um, if you're listening to this on a free-to-air uh, place, that's fine too. 
money's tight for everyone and I'd rather people spend it on something meaningful rather than a frivolity such as our podcast uh, nonetheless if you do just take time to you know give us a rating on whatever um, service you find us on such as Apple Music or Spotify that would be hugely appreciated helps our discoverability uh, but otherwise that brings us to an end here uh, from myself and Mark thank you very much again to everyone who's listening whether you're listening to this now live as I speak or whether you're listening to this after the fact um, we will be back or I'll be back rather next week with uh, Vivi Flori I for the patrons on the $3 tier or higher and also of course Bonte Tomazaki on the $5 tier or higher the week after that but until then stay safe everyone take care look after yourselves look after your loved ones and I mean we say on the podcast every time I ain't gonna stop saying I love the franchise and I love the meaning behind it embrace you everyone to the ends of the universe good night